Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today we are starting a brand new series, and we creatively titled it Wisdom, because we're going to be talking about wisdom, um, or specifically talking about a, a section of the Bible that's actually known as wisdom literature. And uh, the idea of doing this series and talking about this topic specifically started a few months ago. Uh, if you're in our Facebook group, you may remember uh, it was like late winter, I think, although winter seemed to just keep going this year. Uh, but I was planning and looking ahead towards the summer and fall and what I felt like we should talk about as a church community. And I actually threw a poll up on Facebook and said, hey, what do you guys want to talk about? Or is there anything you want to learn about? And uh, some of the responses that we got were that people wanted to learn about wisdom and how to make wise decisions. And then a lot of people also said, hey, we want to study a book of the Bible. And so I thought, why don't we just do both at the same time? So we're actually going to study three different books of the Bible over the course of the next three weeks. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, But all of them are wrapped around together uh, in this unique category of writing that's known as wisdom literature. And so warning on the front side, uh, I'm going to get a little Bible nerdy on you at times, uh, but I'm not going to like make it boring, I hope. And in fact, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to engage in any of this stuff. Honestly, you don't even have to be a Christian to engage in this or to benefit uh, from what we're talking about together. But I think it is a really big deal for us to have just like kind of a working knowledge of what the Bible is and and how we got it and the context in which it was written, especially with the number of opinions that are floating around today. I mean, it seems like everybody has one, right? Everybody has probably more than one and they're happy to share it with you. Uh, And I just think it's helpful for us, like if you want to take following Jesus seriously, in our cultural moment, it's so helpful to have some knowledge of the backstory behind the story, to understand how we got the scriptures and and, and why they were written and and what it means for us today. And so one of my primary goals for us here at Story, in terms of like the kind of Jesus followers I want us to be and I want us to grow into, is I would just describe us as like, I want us to be thoughtful Christians. And and it maybe seems kind of silly that I have to spell that out, but To be honest with you, I think we could probably grow a much bigger church with a much bigger budget if we weren't as concerned about this as we are. But what I want is for all of us to be people who like bring our brains to church too. The people who uh, think that it's okay to have like a knowledge of history and and science and and all the stuff that we learn like outside of these walls, we think that we can bring that inside of these walls too and and actually hold it in tension and oftentimes right alongside what we learn in scripture. I don't think that things like science and spirituality have to be in conflict, uh, but rather I think that they each help us grow in, in different ways. And I think that, you know, we can have a courageous faith and still like practice critical thinking at the same time. So that's a piece of what I want us to do uh, throughout this series as we grow together. But I also, I want it to be really practical and really helpful for us because the thing about this wisdom literature that we're gonna look at, uh, ultimately the pursuit of wisdom It's about some of the core questions that we end up asking in life. It's about big questions like what kind of a world do we actually live in? And what does it look like to live well within that world? And how do you know how to make good or healthy decisions along the way? And what do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? Uh, Questions like that are questions that I think all of us ask at some point. Daryl mentioned that it's like graduation season. I can remember when I graduated from high school, it was like the first time I started wrestling with some of these big questions because like I'm leaving mama's house and I've got to figure it out, right? So it's like, what is life really going to be all about for me? I I started wrestling with those questions. Uh, Sometimes when we go through change or difficult seasons, we wrestle with these questions again. If 
you know the story of our church. We've gone through plenty of changes, and I feel like in all those seasons, I've had to rely on some sense of wisdom to, to know, like, uh, what do I do, right? What's my part to play in the next season, or, or how do I lead well, and what does it look like for us to make healthy and wise decisions together as a community? And I would be willing to bet you've had moments in your life where you've had to ask and maybe answer some of these questions as well, like, what is my life really going to be about. I actually have a friend, uh, we're kind of like pen pals, he moved away, but we text still to stay connected, and he is in, uh, I believe his like late 50s, early 60s, and um, he actually was texting me, and he was asking some of these same kinds of questions, and he openly admitted, he's like, hey, I know I'm going through a midlife crisis right now, like fully aware of it, embracing it, but he's been a pretty successful guy, and, and he's reached this point in his life where he's looking at everything that he's accumulated, everything that he's done, and he's asking, what's it for? Right? What is life really ultimately going to be about? And the reality is all of us, as we go through life and as we grow, all of us find some way to answer those questions. Like it's unavoidable. Somebody or something will speak into these big questions at the core of how we live our lives. Uh, we take our cue of what it means to live well, often from just the latest and greatest new idea. We'll talk about this more in a little bit, but we just kind of have a bent in our culture to think that whatever the newest idea is, is the greatest idea. And in a little bit, we'll talk about how maybe that's not always the case. Uh, Maybe for you, when you think about like what it means to live well, uh, you think about what was modeled for you. You either saw your parents and you thought, oh my gosh, I want to be just like them. Or you saw your parents and you thought, I want to be nothing like them. Right? But, but whichever way that it goes, uh, for many of us, it, we saw a way of living modeled and it shaped the way that we believe our lives should look. In fact, it should be like kind of a sobering reality for those of us who are maybe parents or grandparents or in some way influencing the next generation. Uh, what I've found to be true, even in my short journey so far as a parent, is that more often than not, things are caught rather than taught. Like, like I try and teach Eden a whole lot of things, but I've realized recently, she's just four years old, uh, but especially in like those moments of conflict when she like powers up at me and she's like and grunting at me and stomping and, and throwing a little temper tantrum. It's like she's holding a mirror because right? I'm like, oh no. I'm like, where did she learn that stuff? And then I realize, oh, that's what I do, right? When I'm overly stressed out, when I can't handle my own emotions, I puff up and pout and throw a fit and Sorry if I'm the only one here today who's uh, not holy enough for church. But, like, uh, she's caught that for me, right? And so I'm aware of it now. Like, okay, I need to pay attention to how I'm not only teaching her, but what I'm doing around her. Because oftentimes we learn what life should look like by what was modeled for us. There's all kinds of cultural messages and voices trying to speak into what life should look like for us. If you're on social media, I mean, you're bombarded with this stuff all the time, right? Or traditional advertising does it, or even the shows that we stream and the music that we listen to. There's these subtle messages all the time that shape our idea of what life should look like. And that's why if you're scrolling through Instagram and then suddenly you find yourself dissatisfied with like all of your home decor, so then like Amazon's racking up and all the boxes are on your porch, like that happens because it shapes the way that we believe our lives should look. Uh, Sometimes on a serious note, uh, the way we think that life works or the way that we think the world is can often be shaped by bad assumptions that we make because of difficult things that we've been through. Uh, Sometimes if you go through a difficult moment, it can be easy to assume that like life is never going to be better again. It can be easy to to make an assumption that maybe things just don't go your way in life, that I guess I'm just not the kind of person that good things happen to, or or any of these assumptions that we can make from time to time. And if you're here in this moment right now, and you're going through a difficult season, I I want you to know, like, I think that the pain that you feel, the, the difficulty that you're experiencing, it is real, and it's valid, and it should be acknowledged. 
but sometimes that pain can guide us to make assumptions about life that aren't always the most accurate. It's not really the best time to make big decisions when you're going through difficult things, but I want you to know uh, that for all of us, it can be extraordinarily difficult. It can be extraordinarily difficult for us in the face of so many competing voices to really understand and to really know what does it look like to live well? What is this world really like and how do we make good decisions in the midst of it? And so it's no wonder that many of us find ourselves stressed out and overwhelmed and confused or maybe just exhausted trying to make sense of it all. And so you either like just ruminate on this stuff and you can just stay stuck thinking like, man, what is life supposed to be about? Or you tune out, right? And you're just like, I'm just gonna keep streaming. Yes, I am still watching Netflix. Like you just keep going to try and tune it all out. But the good news is this entire section of scripture that we're looking at together, this, this group of texts that we know as wisdom literature actually seeks to explore answers to those same big questions that we were talking about earlier, but they do so with a really different approach than what we typically take. A- and so buckle up for the Bible nerdy part. I'm gonna give you some of the context around what I'm talking about when I talk about wisdom literature, because typically uh, when we say wisdom literature in reference to the Bible or to Christian scripture, it refers to a collection of books in the Bible, pretty much in the middle of the Bible, uh, that are all grouped together because of a set of unique features and themes and ideas that they have. So there's You probably have heard like there's the Old Testament and the New Testament, basically in the middle, surrounded by some prophets. There is these few books that we know as wisdom literature. And uh, there's, depending on who you talk to, either three or five books of the Bible that are considered wisdom literature. For our purposes, we're gonna look at three of them over the next three weeks. And specifically, we're gonna look at the books of Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. If you're curious like me and you're like, what are the other two? The other two that sometimes are considered are um, the book Song of Songs or Song of Solomon uh, because many people believe it was authored by Solomon who also wrote many of the prophets. And so uh, it's kind of lumped in, but it's a little different. And uh, same with the Psalms. Sometimes people loop that in as wisdom literature as well. And although there is wisdom contained in all of scripture, uh, these three books that we're gonna look at kind of uniquely tackle these questions of what the world is really like and what it really looks like to live well in the midst of it. In fact, these books, they're unique in the context of the library of scripture uh, for a few different reasons. The first is these books offer a different perspective than the rest of the entire Bible. If you've been around story for any amount of time, you've probably heard me talk about the Bible in terms of a story before. I I believe that the Bible is this unified story that points to Jesus. And it's really crazy. I mean, it was written by all kinds of different authors living in different places over thousands of years. But as it's been compiled together, remarkably, sometimes confusingly, but remarkably, it tells one story that points to Jesus. But what's unique about the wisdom literature is when you read these books, it's almost like you've completely stepped out of that story for a second. Because if you read through uh, these three texts, you'll find no mention of the family of Abraham or the promised land or the covenant or obeying laws of the Torah to experience God's blessing or God wanting to reach all the nations or the temple or priests or worship or the Messiah who is yet to come or Mount Sinai or any of these things that are like key features of the story of the Hebrew Bible so far up to that point. All of it's just kind of mysteriously missing. And it's like this removed perspective, this different perspective that these texts have that tries to look at things almost from like a more universal level. So don't get me wrong, like the authors of these texts believed in that story. They believed that they were living in the midst of that story and that they were a part of that story. But uniquely in these texts, they don't really discuss the story at all. It's kind of like, um, I've been on a really big Star Wars kick 
for the past 34 years. No, I'm just kidding. I've been on a big Star Wars kick uh, really since May of this year. Like May the 4th is May the 4th. Be, may the fourth be with you. It just like kicked off for me and I just never turned down the temperature on all the Star Wars stuff. So uh, there's a new show coming out in August and, and I'm really excited for it. And so I decided I needed to like fill in the gap of all of the Disney Star Wars content that's been released because they just keep producing it quicker than anybody could possibly keep up with it. A and so I'm like backlogging and trying to catch up. And uh, just this week, I, uh, I caught up on the children's animated series, The Clone Wars, <laughs> which fills in this like gap in the story. Uh, but what's unique about this series, if you've probably heard of the Star Wars movies at least, so there's like major events that happen in those movies, right? That everybody's seen, that we go to a movie theater and we enjoy. This Clone Wars series, it like overlaps some of the movies. And, and specifically, I won't spoil anything, but like the last few episodes of this series, it was really remarkable because they showed like the same timeline as one of the big movies but it was like somebody else's perspective during it. So you would hear that things that you saw in the movies were happening, but it was like from this different removed perspective and it gave this whole different angle on the stories for a nerdy guy like me. That's kind of what these books do, okay? It's like they're in the story, but it is this different removed perspective that gives us a different angle on what God is up to in the world and what it looks like for us to live faithfully in the midst of it. And so because of that unique perspective, these texts that we know as wisdom literature have a unique voice to them, this unique quality. They explore issues and questions that can apply to anybody, anywhere. They're these like universal questions. I and it's all within the context of the people of God that they're writing from. But in that context, they're asking questions about how we relate to God day in and day out and what it looks like, like in my own story to make good decisions. It's way practical and way about the everyday decisions that we make. Another unique aspect of this wisdom literature is these texts also speak from a different authority than most of the rest of scripture. Uh, if you've ever started reading the beginning of the Bible or heard somebody read it to you, uh, you read Genesis and then eventually you get to Exodus and you hear the story of Moses. A and Moses, if you remember, he looks like Charlton Heston and he comes down from the mountain with the big tablets and he starts saying all these things that God said. He says, God says thou shall and thou shalt not. And uh, that's kind of the voice that scripture tends to operate in. It's God's voice saying what we should or should not do or how we should live or should not live. And it's similar uh, when you get to the prophets, these people in the Old Testament who spoke on behalf of God. They would go to the people and they would say, thus saith the Lord, right? They would make these proclamations that were in God's voice. What's unique about the wisdom literature in these books that we're gonna look at for the next few weeks is they actually contain a human perspective first. They speak from human authority and human wisdom first. Uh, the book of Proverbs, which is where we're gonna hang out today, the opening section reads like a letter from a father to his son, a, a man who's lived life and wants to pass on wisdom to his son. And, and this is a really subtle thing, but it's a really, really significant thing because what essentially happens is this wise counsel of God-fearing people Right? These people who have tried to follow God and all the insight that they've accumulated over generation and over generation and over generation was written down and was shared and eventually bound and included in our holy scripture as God's word to people. It, it's really profound. Like These books were written and they validate that there is divine wisdom in listening to the wisdom of elders or those who go before us, listening to the collective wisdom of humans who have experienced things different than we have. And this is one of those areas where our cultural values kind of get in the way of, of understanding that because in our culture, we value new. In the ancient world, they valued old. 
like for example, I have some books on my shelf uh, at my house that like written in 2009 or something. And occasionally when I want to reference one of them, I like go to reach for it and I'm like, mm, I don't know, right? Do they really know what they're talking about anymore? The world's changed a lot since 2009. That's not that long ago, especially in like the terms of written ideas, right? <laughs> like it's pretty new stuff. But for me, it's already feels old because we value new stuff. I isn't that true as it relates to technology too? Your phone was fine until the new model came out a year later, right? Then all of a sudden it's like, nope, I need that one. Because as things uh, rapidly change around us, we try and keep up. And I actually saw this this week that just to me illustrated how in some ways young our world and our culture is, and yet how rapidly changing our world and our culture is. I saw online this thing that said, if you are 24 years old or older, you've experienced 10% of American history. Isn't that crazy to think about? Like our, our country is not that old in the grand scheme of nations throughout the world. And if you are 24 years old, you've experienced 10% of US history. That means if you're pushing 70, you've seen like a third of it. Like it's crazy for me to think about, but what it tells us is that our culture is actually really young. And if you think about what, even in our lifetimes today, we've experienced, our culture is rapidly changing. But the ancient world wasn't like that. It, it, there were certainly technological advances, there were certainly changes, but in the ancient world, it took a long time for those advances to happen, and it took a long time for those advances to become widespread. So in the ancient world, the ancient world was rooted in thousands of years of tradition, and change occurred slowly. And so in that context, people who had experience were valued. People who had expertise that expertise was considered precious. And I think there's something that we could still learn from that perspective today, that there's actually something that we can learn from those who have been where we've been before, those who are maybe a little farther down the road from us. But not only are these texts, we're almost at the end of the Bible nerd stuff, okay? So if you're fading, track with me. Uh, not only are these texts unique, like as a category of literature known as wisdom literature, but each of these texts in and of themselves offer a unique perspective as well. And it's really important that we pay attention to each of them if we really wanna get a full picture of what this word wisdom really means in God's eyes. In fact, if you just like take a snapshot of one of these three books that we're gonna look at, it'll be an incomplete picture of what wisdom looks like. It's this incomplete view of what it looks like because the perspective of each book just on its own is too narrow to really capture our human experience. And you've probably experienced this if maybe you've read one of these books before. Maybe you read the book of Proverbs and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many principles and things that I can apply. And then something went off the rails in your life. And you're like, well, where's that in Proverbs? Right? <laughs> what do I do now? I did all the right stuff and it didn't, it didn't work out. Or, or maybe you've read the book of Ecclesiastes and you're like, wow, this guy's grumpy. Like, <laughs> what is going on here? Like, there's all these different perspectives and on their own, they don't have the whole picture. And, and it's why it's so important for us to do this over the course of the next few weeks to see all of it intention with one another to get a whole picture of what wisdom really looks like. It's one reason why these books can seem contradictory at times. Again, Proverbs has all of its principles and its ideals of what it looks like to live well. Ecclesiastes has kind of cynical, grumpy ranting. A and then Job is this guy who suffers and talks about his experience. And it's like, how do all these things line up together? That's what we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. But as a thought experiment, when it relates to these texts, you can almost imagine each of these books as if they're a person with their own unique perspective and their own unique voice. So if Proverbs were a person speaking to us today, uh, I would say Proverbs is like the brilliant young teacher who has seen so many things in life and who has gathered so much information about what it looks like to live well that they just wanna teach us and they wanna share it with us. Ecclesiastes would be like the sharp middle-aged critic 
who has seen some stuff and wants to tell you how the world really is, right? And then Job, Job is like the weathered old man who hasn't only seen it, he's lived through it, and he can tell you what it's like on the other side. And again, we're going to get to each of these perspectives over the course of the next few weeks. But today, I want us to start by listening to that first voice, which is the voice that we find in the book of Proverbs. If you know much about Proverbs, uh, you probably know it's kind of like a book of catchphrases, or at least a good chunk of it is. Uh, it's like the fortune cookie section of the Bible because everything's written in like couplets and it's easy to read and understand. Uh, in fact, Proverbs, even outside of Christianity, you may know like Proverbs by nature are these sayings that have been passed down by generation and generation, and they actually gain authority through their repetition and through their common validation. Like as people share this over time and they agree with the experience. Um, for example, uh, there's a proverb that says that uh, fighting with your neighbor, or quarreling with your neighbor is like pulling on the dog's ear. So the way that that proverb ended up being written is some guy in the ancient world pulled on his dog's ear and found out what happened, right? Dog's like, right, comes and gets them. A- and then like maybe a few days later, they had a fight with their neighbor and they're like, you know what? Those two things feel about the same. And they wrote it down and then it was passed on particularly in the ancient world where history and tradition was passed down through word of mouth. It was passed on in these portable sayings. And as people heard it, they'd be like, you know what? That's right. Pulling on the dog's ear is kind of like fighting with my neighbor. He just doesn't go so well. And so then it became written down and recorded as wisdom. You could say uh, that Proverbs are like the first memes that ever hit the world because they like went viral. There are these little ideas that when people saw them, they go like, oh my gosh, that's true. And so there are these bite-sized nuggets of wisdom that get passed around. But in Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher, right, the voice through which we hear wisdom being conveyed to us, she isn't just smart. She is smart on everything. Uh, the brilliant young teacher has advice on what we should do at work and what our relationships should look like and what sex should look like and, and what spirituality looks like and integrity and money and fear and like any category of human experience, Proverbs has some advice to say about what it means to live well in that category of life. She's like the perfect friend to have around when you need some really specific advice, which I experienced the power of this this week because many of you know uh, we're in the process of developing a property to become our new home and I had a meeting this week with uh, an architect, the architect who's helping design our building, and a structural engineer. They basically were showing up to make sure like we could actually knock down all the walls that we want to knock down to put new walls up and so they were there but I got there a little early and I was there on my own and, and the guys were talking and there's like so much jargon in construction world and especially in architecture world that they're like just throwing stuff around and and I was standing there and they're asking me questions like they say something about like hey so how are the RTUs up there and I'm standing there like uh what could that possibly mean right what what are they talking about and then thank god our contractor walks in right and and so then all the conversation turns to him and they're like how are the RTUs like the RTUs are fine I've already checked it out good right? Good answer. And then like a half hour into the conversation, I realized that's rooftop units. He's talking about the HVAC set. Like I get it. I figured it out. But like, I don't know why they didn't just say rooftop units, right? It takes just as much time. It's just this weird architecture flex I think they were doing. But anyway, it was so good for me to have somebody with specific knowledge in the moment that I needed it who could give that answer, give that advice. And that's basically what Proverbs tries to do for us. In all these arenas of our life, the brilliant young teacher comes alongside and offers her expertise. And Proverbs speaks from this perspective that basically implies there is this invisible creative force in the universe that can actually guide people on how to live. 
And that's not as woo-woo as it sounds, okay? It's not the force like Star Wars or it's just invisible and mysterious. But rather, in Hebrew, there is a word for it. And, and it's a really fun word to say, so I'm gonna make you do it with me, okay? Uh, it's the word shakma. And, and so like, everybody together, just act like you're clearing your throat and then put ma at the end. It's the word shakma. Go for it. See, it was kind of fun, wasn't it? Uh, that word chakma is, you're gonna hear it a lot, uh, but it actually is the word that we translate as wisdom. But chakma is such a significant idea. It's basically like gravity. It's this thing that exists that we can't necessarily see, that we can't always like name in and of itself, but it's also something that we can't escape. And we constantly see the effects of it in everything that we do. What's crazy about chakma is chakma is actually considered an attribute of God's character himself. That, that chakma is an attribute of God that God wove into the fabric of the world when he created it. We believe God created everything and he created people in his image. And, and somewhere along the way, God wove this like principle or this force of chakma, of wisdom, into the way that things work. And chakma is at play in how things work out in our world. And essentially, the perspective of Proverbs is that whenever you find people who are making good and just and wise decisions, that they are living in and working with chakma, with wisdom. A and the opposite is true as well, that wherever you find people who are making bad or unjust or unwise decisions, they're working against chakma. They're working against wisdom and the way that God ordered things to work. And in fact, it, this idea is referenced very early in Proverbs. At the end of the first chapter, uh, chapter one, verses 32 and 33, uh, wisdom is the one speaking in this text. And they say this, for simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. So there's these clear categories that show up in Proverbs, right? There's those who listen to wisdom, those who live in chakma, and they do well, and then those who don't listen, those who are considered fools, suffer and they struggle. And this is why black and white, like linear thinkers, love Proverbs, right? Because like the whole thing is this big, long perspective on the world that describes this cause and effect pattern to everything that none of us can escape. Like the text basically says, like if you're wise, things go well, if you're a fool, things don't go well. That if you do X, you're wise. If you do Y, you're a fool. And it seems like this really simple and easy to under understand system that we can live within. But something else to understand about wisdom as Proverbs reveals it to us is Proverbs doesn't actually talk about wisdom just in terms of a system that we can like learn and hack and apply in our lives. But Proverbs also speaks about wisdom in a personal sense. Uh, after some of the introductory chapters, when you get to about Proverbs 8, wisdom starts being personified through the name Lady Wisdom. A and Lady Wisdom is described as somebody who, who's just waiting for people to listen to her. Uh, it's spelled out in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. The text says, listen as wisdom calls out. Here as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance to the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. See, wisdom isn't just this like impersonal system that we can learn, but in Proverbs, wisdom is treated as somebody calling out to all of us, saying, hey, all of you have access to me. 
listen to me, please. Like apply the things that I'm trying to teach you. And just for fun, uh, the message translation of the Bible has a little bit more oomph to it. In fact, it, it might have some words in there that if you're like a really good church person, it might bother you a little bit. Uh, but the message, if you don't know, is a contemporary translation of scripture done by a guy named Eugene Peterson in like the early 2000s. And sometimes it's just helpful to look at. Uh, but Eugene kind of brought the heat on this passage a little bit of what Lady Wisdom was saying. It, it says, do you hear Lady Wisdom calling? Can you hear Madam Insight raising her voice? She's taken her stand at first in Maine at the busiest intersection, right in the city square where the traffic is the thickest and shouts, you, I'm talking to all of you, everyone out here on the streets. And here it comes, okay, buckle up. Listen, you idiots, <laughs> learn good sense. You blockheads, shape up. Don't miss a word of this. I'm telling you how to live well and I'm telling you how to live at your best. I don't know if Eugene was just grumpy that day that he was translating or like watching a lot of Charlie Brown because he threw blockheads in there, which is impressive. But the point is that wisdom is begging us to listen to her. That wisdom is open and available to everyone. And wisdom is saying, hey, why, listen to me. Do what I say, like find me. And the point for us today is that anyone and everyone has access to wisdom. And that kind of runs counter to how we tend to think, isn't it? Like sometimes we see people who are making really wise decisions and we think, well, yeah, they have access to something that I don't have, right? They had opportunity that I don't have or whatever it may be. And don't hear me wrong. I wholeheartedly believe that all of us are born into different circumstances and different situations. And I do think that that can shape the outcome of where we end up. Sometimes I say that like some of us are born on third base and just have to run it into home. And some of us are born in the parking lot, but we are all playing the same game, right? Like, like everybody starts at a different place. But the point as it relates to wisdom is that wherever you start, right? Wherever you find yourself, whatever you have going on in your life, we all have equal access and opportunity to live in this flow of chakma of wisdom or not, to move with wisdom or to work against wisdom. You actually have the opportunity in your life to create what your life looks like with wisdom as the guiding force. In fact, chakma, again, it's not just this like knowledge that we gain, but that Hebrew word has this angle to it that actually describes uh, like a skilled artist who s excels at their craft. Somebody who has learned to be good at what they do by doing it. And, and so what that means for us is that you show, you possess wisdom when you actually put it to work in your life. It, it actually reveals itself in the things that you do. Before we move on, uh, there's one more important thing that I want you to know about Chakma for where we're going in this conversation. And uh, as I said, like Chakma is this guiding force that God wove into the fabric of the world and it's a personal force in, in many ways, but it's not just personal, like personified in the voice of Lady Wisdom. Chakma, as I said earlier, is actually viewed as an attribute of God himself that there is this personal nature to wisdom, that wisdom is actually found first in God's very character. And that's why the author of uh, Proverbs wrote this in Proverbs chapter nine. They said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So again, in the worldview of Proverbs, to live wisely doesn't mean that you figured out all the life hacks and your life's like really efficient and effective. I mean, that might be part of it. it. It doesn't mean that you lived incredibly strategically and seized every opportunity that was available, although that may be part of it. But ultimately at the beginning of wisdom is what's known as the fear of the Lord. Th this desire to see things right as God sees them. And that phrase, fear of the Lord, it's kind of a loaded phrase. Sometimes we think like God's got a lightning bolt and we need to watch out. That's not really what it means. The fear of the Lord, rather, is this healthy respect 
for God's definition of what's good and what's not. Fear of the Lord believes that God's perspective on what's right and what's good is the perspective that we want to adopt too. That's what it means. It has this healthy reverence, this healthy respect. And so true wisdom is about learning what those boundary lines are from God's eyes and then learning not to cross them. How do we live within what God has called good and how do we avoid what God has called bad? So we've covered a lot of ground even already. Here's what we know so far and what's so remarkable about Proverbs. Everything that we've talked about today is basically contained in chapters one through nine of Proverbs. There's chapters 10 through 31 still remaining, and 10 through 31 are the Proverbs you probably think of if you've ever heard of Proverbs, the little fortune cookie sayings that are really portable and apply to all kinds of areas of life. I thought about just like grabbing my favorites and doing the best hits of like these Proverbs that I think are good, but instead, I thought for our time together, it would be so much more helpful for us to understand the worldview of Proverbs so that then when you go and read the actual specifics, you can see how that worldview is played out in different arenas of life. But what's remarkable is that the claim of Proverbs 1 through 9, which we've just talked about today, is that the wisdom that you will read in Proverbs 10 through 31, all those sayings on the back half of this text, the claim is that this isn't just human wisdom that people have figured out through being savvy or through having a lot of experience, but rather that it's divine wisdom. Like the purpose of everything we talked about is to help us see that God's words to us have come through the human words of elders and people who have gone before us and have described what life can really look like. And what that means for us is that human wisdom isn't pitted against divine wisdom, but rather the human word or human wisdom was the vehicle that God brought his word and his wisdom to us. So that's all fascinating, right? and I hope you like learned something or at least leaned in, thought it was a little bit interesting so far, but what does this whole perspective have anything to do with how we actually live our lives in 2023? There's a couple of things that I think uh, at the beginning of this conversation it can teach us. And the first is simply this, it's that wisdom matters. And that might feel like the well done answer, right? But, but wisdom actually matters in our life, that in the worldview of Proverbs and as we can see play out in the lives of ourselves and the people around us, generally speaking, those who make wise decisions tend to do better than those who don't, right? Wise people tend to prosper and foolish people tend to have trouble. They tend to struggle. The, Proverbs teaches us that there actually is kind of an ordered and principled way to live in this world uh, that taps into the way that the world was designed to actually work. But it's important for us to remember that that wisdom, again, is not just some strategy that we can figure out, but that wisdom is actually first found in relationship with God. That the source of wisdom, right, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is what the proverb says. That chachma, Wisdom is not this impersonal force that we just hope we tap into somehow, but rather it's an attribute of God himself. And don't get me wrong, like there are people who don't know God who happen to make wise decisions from time to time, right? There's people who are savvy in business who don't know God or, or people who are good with their money or, or who are great in relationships. Like I'm not saying that the only people who have the corner on this are like Jesus followers, but what I am saying is that God is the source of wisdom. And so the closer you get to God, the easier it is to see things from God's perspective. That staying close to God actually helps us stay aware of what God really desires, which is the nature of any relationship, right? If you're close to someone, it's easy to understand them. But often the relational tension that shows up in our lives happens because we're distant from one another and then we start playing the expectation game on one another, particularly the unspoken expectation game. And then it's just like this guessing game of like, what do you really want from me? And then the tension flares and everybody's upset. The same thing can be true in our relationship with God. 
if there's distance between you, it can be hard to know what God really wants. So it begs the question for us today, if you're a person here and you're like, you know what? I wanna grow in wisdom. I wanna actually have wisdom be the guiding factor in my life. It begs the question for all of us, am I walking in close relationship with God? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, how am I doing with that? Am I actually walking closely with God or have things drifted over time? Another thing that Proverbs teaches us is that wisdom is not only found in relationship with God. It's first found there, but wisdom is also found in the counsel of other people. That wisdom is found in the counsel of others. And again, I haven't talked through a lot of the actual like Proverbs that we think of, the little one-liners that are recorded in chapters 10 through 31. But just to illustrate what I'm talking about, something that I think might be helpful for applying what we're saying today is found in Proverbs 13, 20, uh, where the author writes, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I probably don't have to spend a lot of time spelling that one out, right? Some of you are like, that's my life story right there, <laughs> for better and worse. You're like, that, that's the difference between high school and college for me, right? <laughs> walk with the wise. We've all probably done that. Y at some point in life, I bet you surrounded yourself, intentionally or not, with somebody who was wise, who was farther along than you, and you benefited from being around them. You learned something from them. And I would be willing to bet at one point or another, you were in the company of fools and you got yourself into a little bit of trouble, or if not, you know those who did, right? The point is that who we surround ourselves with also matters in terms of how well we can live in this idea of chakma or of wisdom. And so the second question that it begs for us, not only am I staying close to God, but am I surrounding myself with and listening to wise people? Do I actually have wise people speaking into my life and speaking into the things uh, that are going on in the midst of it? And here's what I'd say, like, I think for us, like the church, not the building that we're in or the services that we do, but us like the people who are the church, I think this could be one of our greatest opportunities. This could be one of our greatest strengths because maybe you're here and you're uh, on the younger side, which I'm gonna still lump myself in with, and you're like, man, I, I want some wise people to speak into my life, but I don't know where to find them. I don't know who they are. Look around, right? Maybe you're here and you're on the other side of the equation, right? You've lived a little longer and, and you've seen some things. Here's what I would challenge you with. It's like, if you don't have a younger person in your life that you're sharing your wisdom and sharing your experience with, man, find them. B because I can speak for myself, like younger generations, the next generation, those coming along behind me too, they're hungry for wisdom. They need it. I and they probably just don't know how to ask for it, right? But like, what if for you, you had the courage to do the awkward ask of like, hey, younger person, like, can we grab coffee sometime, I'll buy, or I'll buy lunch, like free food always gets them in the door, okay? Uh, and like you just hang out and you either share your story or you hear about theirs and you offer the gift of the wisdom that you've gained. I think our world would look radically different if younger and older people were coming together more often to learn from one another. But it begs the question, am I surrounding myself by and am I listening to wise people? And one last thing that we can do, if you wanna like take a first step towards wisdom or applying this stuff, Proverbs is a great book to actually begin reading scripture with. Like if you're here and uh, basically the only Bible, the only scripture that you engage with is like the 35 minutes that I throw a couple of verses at you every week, it's a start, okay? But there is so much more for you and so much more for what your faith can look like and how you can grow if you actually engage in this text and meet God in the midst of it. And Proverbs is an incredible place to start. Like I said, about half of the book are these bite-sized nuggets that it's really easy to read and easy to remember. But not only that, uh, Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. 
So what that means is if you decide, hey, I, I'm just going to read a chapter a day. It, they're not huge chapters. I'm going to read a chapter a day. You can basically get through this whole book in about a month's time. There's 31 chapters. And so maybe for you, that's your first step towards wisdom. It's like, I'm going to see what's contained, right? I'm going to listen to the brilliant young teacher, and I'm going to see what they have to say about what a wise life really looks like. And if that's you today, um, there's going to be a QR code on the screen, uh, which is going to link to a Bible app. Uh, it's just I think called the Version Bible. It's a free app, but there are tons of great reading plans in it. I mean, there are some 31-day Proverbs plans. If you just search for Proverbs, uh, yeah, feel free to pull out your phone and like scan that thing. I did it from the back row, so you might have to zoom in, but I think it works. Uh, you can find all kinds of reading plans on there if you just search for Proverbs. Some are 31 days. Some are, I think, as short as like seven days. So if you're just going to give it a try this week, I just challenge you, start somewhere, right? Read this text. Read what wisdom has to say to you and see if you can apply it in your life. Uh, if you're not like a QR code person, if you just go to bible.com, it'll take you to the same place too and you can find the app and follow along there as well. Here's the point. Okay, this wisdom stuff matters and Proverbs paints a beautiful picture of what life can look like when we live inside of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs paint this beautiful picture of how life can flourish if life is lived well and that those who understand that and who make wise choices tend to prosper and those who don't tend to struggle. But if you're here today and you were like, yeah, okay, I've heard it before. But if you like take a step back, right? And it, maybe you would argue like that perspective is fine, but it's a little too simple, isn't it? Because like sometimes people do all of the right things and bad things still happen to them. Like sometimes people do everything right and the business still fails or, or whatever, the finances still drop out. Like stuff still happens. And you know what? I know a lot of people who I would consider fools who seem to be doing okay. I, I know a lot of people who I know make bad choices and they're still prospering and they're still doing fine. And life doesn't always work out the way that we think that it should work. If you're here and you're hearing all this about problems, you're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. It's why we need to listen to our next wise friend who has wrestled with that very tension and is where we're gonna pick things up next week. So let me pray for you. God, uh, this idea of wisdom is so, so important not only in the daily decisions that we make, but also in the way that we answer the big questions of life, of what this world is like and what our lives really look like when they're lived well. And so God, I pray for each of us that we would be open uh, to your wisdom being the guiding factor in everything that we do. God, help us to be people who draw close to you, who actually learn how you want this world to work by, by having a close and active relationship with you. Help us to see what you call good and to avoid uh, what you call bad. God, for those of us in the room uh, who don't feel like we have somebody wise who can speak into our life, God, I pray that you would open an opportunity this week, that you would put somebody in their path, that somebody would ask them out for coffee or lunch, and that uh, it could be the beginning of a beautiful and powerful life-giving relationship. For the person in the room today who has some experience, but they haven't shared it with anyone, God, I pray you would give them the courage to maybe make that awkward ask to coffee or lunch and to, to share what they've gained through life lived with you. But God, for all of us, again, help us to be people who are open to your wisdom, who are known as wise, not as fools, and who reflect your heart for this world by the way that we live our lives, walking closely with you and closely with one another. We pray and we ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, 
visit us at storyperu.com.